1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guests. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the awesome reviews. I really, really appreciate it. And now, on to my guests for today. Gabby and Mike Grinberg, founders of Proofpoint Marketing in Minneapolis. They also host a podcast called Mixing Business with Pleasure, where they interview couples just like themselves that run businesses together. Six years ago, Gabby and Mike had flourishing careers when their infant daughter was born four months premature. Gabby was let go from her job and became a stay-at-home mom to care for their daughter while Mike continued to work and also took on some freelancing clients. Less than two years later, Mike's company declared bankruptcy. Gabby wanted to get back to to work and Mike realized that he already had a strong foundation with his freelance clients so they formed Proofpoint Marketing. From the beginning, Gabby and Mike knew They wanted to offer a different kind of workplace culture. They're fully remote and offer the kind of flexibility often missing in the corporate workplaces, something they committed to well before COVID made working remote the norm. When they hire someone, they have high hopes and found out that they just weren't right for the company. And then they really wanted to do the extra mile to help them actually go and find another job. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out. So it was actually a really interesting story. Uh, Definitely got to listen to that. Having experienced several layoffs between them, Mike and Gabby point out that working in corporations may seem safer, but in reality, there's a lot of ambiguity. And when hard times come, I think being an entrepreneur and working in a startup is probably your best bet. Well, not necessarily any safer to big company, right? So with clear core values and principles in place, it's clear that these two founders offer a different vision of the future of work, and it was just a really great conversation to talk with them. So now let's get better together. Gabby and Mike Grinberg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us.
2: We're excited to be here.
1: Well, thank you for joining me. You guys are only the third kind of dual guest I've had. Um, and you're also run a an agency called Proofpoint Marketing, which I've been talking about a little bit with you guys ahead of time. You also happen to be married, so you got to work together as co-founders of companies and all that sort of great stuff. Which, of course, we'll dig into uh, in a bit. But uh, before we get started on all that, Gabby, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today?
2: Absolutely. Well, I always tell anybody that asks that Proofpoint was really born out of desperation. Um, We experienced a pretty significant family crisis in 2015. Our daughter, uh, who's now going to be six in August, um, she was born four months premature. She was born weighing less than a pound, 11 ounces. So to put that into perspective for our listeners, if you pick up a can of soda or pop if you're in the Midwest. Um, this that's twelve ounces. And so our daughter was eleven ounces. A typical baby at birth is anywhere from, you know, five to Eight nine pounds, depending on how big the baby is. So she was very, she was significantly uh, premature, significantly uh, underweight, and we had a very long journey with her. Um, at the time, I was working at a at an agency, and to add insult to injury, I had lost my job shortly after our emergency C section. So not only were we grappling with this um, unexpected uh, plan in our in our pregnancy uh, very unexpected we also then lost my job which was you know a six figure income and i was the primary health care holder and uh, and and we were sort of deer cotton headlights and um, you know, needless to say, the journey at the NICU was very challenging. The journey home was also very difficult. Anyone that uh, that that has a child at bo- born full term can, can commiserate that those first few months, uh, even the first year of having a child is challenging. And then we had the added difficulty of dealing with prematurity and the challenges that come with that. Our daughter had some medical needs uh, that required that I become a stay-at-home mom and and care for her full-time as a caregiver. Um, so we had we had kind of experienced a few very challenging life blows in a matter of um, just a, a short period of time and. Um, to make matters worse, as as our daughter was getting better and growing and she was thankfully thriving and, and, and growing and meeting those milestones that were so critical, um, shortly before her second birthday, so we've kind of advanced the timeline a little bit, um, m- the company that Mike was working for uh, declared bankruptcy and we found out rather abruptly, we had Missed out on a few pay periods and the news was all over the Minneapolis uh, newspapers. And uh, and so that was another really giant blow and difficult moment in our in the trajectory of our life so far. You know, we go from um, a young pregnant couple with high powered incomes, high powered jobs to now a single family with a child with significant medical needs. And now two years later, my husband has now, Mike has now just lost his job. And thankfully we were, we were, I'd maybe like to say stupidly smart because during that <laughs> t-
1: <laughs> stupidly smart, hold on. I'm going to write that down.
3: Stupidly <laughs> oh, yes. I call it that before. That's a, that's a good <laughs> one.
2: A new one that is a new one because um wow, cuz if you it. can imagine if you can imagine just for a second you know a young couple mm-hmm. first time ch- first time parents we've got a child with medical needs single income and now all of a sudden mike again, stupidly smart, said, I'm going to get some freelance work. So he was working a full-time job and he was freelancing on the side almost as much. And he was working in his freelance almost as much as he was in his full-time job, which is why I said it was stupidly smart, because at the time we were just running on empty, run it like zombies. I I literally say that we were zombies because our brains were not connected to our pre you know, whatever the cortex, whatever it is that was yeah, supposed to be funnel
1: cortex executive function, yeah.
2: Yeah, whatever was supposed to be connected was obviously severed because we were just running on empty on fumes, just in survi- literally in survival mode. And yeah. so I say stupidly smart because it was stupid at the time, but it turned out to be really smart because when um you know the proverbial poop hit the fan and Mike lost his job unexpectedly, um, we at least had that second, you know, that that income coming in from the freelance work. And we looked at each other and we had a very difficult decision to make. And it, it, it was difficult, but it was very, it was very simple at the same time because our daughter at that time was two years old. So she had kind of gotten over some of the humps that comes with prematurity. She was really on track and doing well. I was at a point where I was ready to go back to work. I was kind of um it, it was never in my my career plan to uh to be a stay-at-home mom. So I was really ready to go back to work, ready to pick up my career again. And then all of a sudden Mike loses his job. So we kind of looked at each other and we said, "Okay, we have a few choices we can make. We could either both go out and get corporate gigs. Mike was working for a startup at the time, so we said, well, corporate is safe because, you know, you're less likely to be fired from corporate than you are from startup, which we all know is not necessarily true either way." I either do. Way, um, yeah. Um, Or, you know, we could take these consulting clients, you know, this this small group of clients that Mike had cultivated over the past two years since our daughter was born, and we could do something with it. And we kind of looked at each other and we said, well, we've already been through hell and back. Let's just jump in. Let's jump in and let's create a business. And we were, again, maybe stupidly smart at that time as well, because we said, well, we don't want it to be just the Mike and Gabby show. We don't want it to be just a a consulting gig. You know, we're husband and wife consulting. We really want to build a company. We really want to have a company that stands on its two feet um we we came up with the name Proofpoint that was over many nights of thinking about it and kind of mulling it over and we didn't want to call it you know the Grinberg agency or the Mike and Gabby agency we really-
1: <laughs> Grin Grinberg and Company
2: Grinberg and Co right you know not knocking anybody that chooses no, to to use no. their name for their company I mean company.
1: Jane used JSY and that's right I mean it was her initials so
2: and it works and and yeah. um you know and it and it depends on you know the the company and the people whom you're 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 servicing but we just knew that we wanted to build a company that would live beyond who we were and um and so that's really how proofpoint was born it was really born out of um you know we say in a nutshell it was born out of our daughter's prematurity but really it was the the num- many different hills and valleys that we went through um, from becoming parents to the first time with our daughter, to then becoming entrepreneurial parents with the birth of our company.
3: Yeah. I mean, the choice was actually really simple. I mean, the reality was, I think yeah. I, at that point, there was no way I was really going to be happy at corporate. Like I'd already downsized from, I'd never worked at like big corporate necessarily, mm-hmm. but having downsized to, you know, small startup and had, I mean, I'd worked on a bunch of, you know, side hustles which were prior to that on the side. Anyway, uh, there was just no way I was going back to corporate and we needed the flexibility. And this was before COVID where remote work was a really a thing. So I'm right. sure like the company I worked for was like, yeah, you can, you know, you can work from home maybe a day a week or something. Or like yeah. when we're in the hospital, they let me work from the hospital, but it's like, okay, I have to work. I wasn't able to yeah. out work and then work at night or like, you know, so it just, it wasn't even realistic. And then, for Gabby having been out have having been out of the job market for a couple of years. I mean, we all unfortunately know how that goes for women these days. And before it's long, like long it's time. almost like you're a dinosaur, even yeah. though you're not. And it's right. it just like it wasn't gonna work. So we just created it on our own. It's interesting. Like I I was never able to put it into words, but it's you know, get when we talk about like, oh, corporate's more it's safer and whatever, and really. Like we, we know that it's not and I I can't remember who I was listening to an interview with uh, recently that talked about that. Um, You know, really what it is is that people are so afraid of ambiguity that they will uh, take on more risk actually by putting all their eggs in one basket and working at a, at a corporate job where like, you're so specialized, they've, it's like at at any point you're just a line item, right? You're gone. Yeah, Yeah. all, All your eggs are in one basket versus diversifying and doing side hustles and doing a startup and doing yeah. this, that, and the other, but it's, there's so much ambiguity with that and people are so afraid of it that they go and they take on the extra risk to avoid that ambiguity.
1: Yeah. My, my dad, you know, he worked at United airlines and uh, <clears throat> when I was in engineering school of a degree in electrical engineering, as everyone knows, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do? Right. And so of course, dad wants son, you know, firstborn son, only son that went to engineering school, only son that got the same degree at the same university. We both went to San Jose State, go Spartans, 25 years apart, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it was bare, almost going to be a junior. That's, you know, like there's some, there's some legacy, some history here, right? <laughs> He's like, why don't you come work at United Airlines? Like do what I do. And honestly, what my dad did was brutal. I mean, he, he would get up, like they would call him at all hours of the day and night to go fix airplanes. Like that was his job, but fix airplanes like the electronics and all this sort of stuff. And so he's like, safe job. You can, you know, good pension. And I'm like, dad, I live in Silicon Valley. We live in Silicon Valley. All of my buddies, every single one were going to the startups, right? And so of course I naturally like did a startup. And then the ironic thing about what you said about security and safety and whatever, is that, you know, he retired quote unquote, from United Airlines after 34 years, but he didn't want to retire after 34 years. He actually wanted to retire a little bit later, but then a catastrophic event happened. And that was September 11th. Mm, yeah, And they told him you're retiring early or you're not yeah. retiring at all. Right. So,
2: yeah, I can very much, um, commiserate and and empathize with with that story, Hari, because my dad was also an engineer yeah cool. and uh <laughs> you know children of engineer go through hell. let me tell you right I mean I'm sure you can <laughs> commiserate <laughs> hopefully you won't put any future children that you may decide no, to have through, my, through that <laughs> my,
1: my fiance's daughter, Every so, we have this kind of running joke. It's really great. She's she's eleven. She's almost going to be twelve. She's a big reader. She loves books. Like books, 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 books. But you know, I like I help her with math and some science and stuff. And I always, if I ever want to like rile her up, I'm always like, "Well, I could explain to you how the physics of this works." her <laughs> I mean, I can't do the big enough eye roll for an 11-year-old. <laughs> just, right. <laughs> ah, Jari, 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 Jari. I'm not, you're not going to tell me about physics. I go, what do you mean? It's so cool. You know, and anyway, she just rolls her eyes, you know. But yeah, I, it, it, I'm not, the legacy will not live on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I will not pass it down.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: It's interesting, though, how, how that all works. Because, I mean, people... I think you're right. I think you're right, Mike. P- people think that they're sort of set up, right, in a nice, comfortable way. So my whole thing is if you're a little, if you're too comfortable, then you have a problem because
3: that, you don't, that's exactly what I say,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because you don't want to have like these single points of failure. and i'm I'm shocked that they don't teach this more in school. I mean, if if you go to, engineering school and you get a bunch of math and science and stuff, you understand like probability and, you know, stuff like that, but general people don't understand like statistics, right. Or the, this whole disparity of like catastrophic asymmetrical events. Right. So to your point, like, okay, you know, you're working and then all of a sudden your job goes away. Well, that's a single point of failure. That's pretty catastrophic. And then a couple of years later and you lose your job. <laughs> so now like double, you're double whammy, right? Which is tough. I mean, I you know, I tell tell the story all the time. I mean, you know, the reason why we find out found out Jane had leukemia was because we were trying to get pregnant and she had multiple miscarriages. And the stress of that and running your own business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the clients were f- nice about it, but boy, when she got leukemia, when she got diagnosed with leukemia and we had to like sort that out as a couple. Yeah. Like it's, I'm just so happy. We didn't have a lot of healthcare finance issues, which I know a lot of people do because, you know, you don't have to share this if you don't want to, but the, not only the emotional burden and the the medical burden, but also the financial burden is pretty huge.
4: Absolutely. That's
1: just horrible. And I'm so glad that your daughter's doing well.
3: She's Thank doing, you. yeah. She's doing amazing. We we from a financial perspective, we we got lucky in the sense of I don't want to say lucky, lucky because of how early she was born. There's a bunch of government programs that you just automatically oh, okay. qualify for. Yeah. But it's just so weird because it's one of those things. Like you, like you think about, okay, had she been born maybe four weeks later and a little bit heavier, she probably wouldn't have qualified. And then I mean, we we like you still see like the you know the uh, the statements of yeah.
2: Medical medical statements. Yeah.
3: Thank you. Like like, how much it really cost the insurance company? I mean, it's it's well over a million bucks. Let me tell you. I mean, and still, like, we had had to pay out of pocket minimums or whatever. So it still wasn't it wasn't cheap by any means. But uh, we got lucky from that perspective. But a lot of people, a lot of others, don't right. They and there's some kids that like you know we also got lucky that she didn't have nearly as many complications as a child born that early
4: statistically should have had
3: right i mean there's kids that are born later that are did do much worse and have long-term care needs and all sorts of stuff that at some point stop being covered and you know whatever so like we we got lucky in that sense um i still wouldn't like i wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy kind of thing having to go through that but yeah it's horrible
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, what you described Jari and I apologize for mispronouncing your name. Oh, that's
3: okay.
1: (laughs) Believe me. That's that. No, 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 no. Don't worry about that. I I get, I get so many different pronunciations of my name that other people are the ones that actually say it's really, Oh, it's really this way. I'm like, uh, you know, like as long as you're not calling me an a-hole or, you know, a shithead or something, that's fine. (laughs) It's okay.
2: Well, you know what you were describing with the challenges that you went through on the client side. You know, with with your with your late wife and the challenges that you had as a couple, um, and the health challenges, the medical challenges. We experienced we experienced that, although albeit differently, um, with the fact that you know I was employed and then I had a emergency C section and you think you know you think that your your job is safe you think that okay i had a catastrophic health situation that happened to me involuntarily right i mean i didn't want to get i didn't want to have my baby four months early i wanted like every other mom out there in the world we we've been told from time immemorial that you get pregnant and your your child arrives 9 months later so that's what was part of my plan and um it is very Difficult and scary and 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 frightening to say the least. When your security and for many people that is their job, their their nine to five is their security. When that security is just ripped away from you, and so the challenges that we went through both personally and professionally over the past, you know. Uh, well, we've been in business now for four years, but prior to that, the the two years before we started our business really shaped our ethos and really shaped the values and, um, and how we run the business. And we all, you know, our vision is to become, is to set a new example and set a, a path for how other companies can and should be supporting their employees. You know, we, 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 we're a small company. We still have so much more to do and so much more that we want to achieve. But we set out from the very beginning to focus on the things that we felt were most important and most um, in line with the way that we wanted to run the company. And that was, um, like Mike had alluded to earlier, remaining fully remote, you know, being a fully distributed company. And little could we have? Could anyone have ever h- hypothesized what would you're happen? Ahead of the curve, right?
3: There's always I... <laughs> ahead
1: of the curve. You guys are like,
3: you know, we knew um, we knew it was coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, everyone says about like, okay, how do you, you know, m- mitigate risk mitigation for businesses? It's like just, you know, Mike and Gabby I, gotta, <laughs> I think Mike and Gabby are living in the future. And we just don't know. It. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like I, I agree. Like I and and I and I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, you have, so I feel the same way. I mean, I don't have a lot of people, you know, a lot of employees like you do. I mean, you guys are fully remote. I mean, really great the way you've structured it. And it's just really, a. I I think when you go through something traumatic, um, and the world sort of aligns, like your values get pretty darn clear of what matters.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And
1: and it sounds like that similar thing happened to you guys. I mean, I know what happened to me. Um, So how do you, how do you build that esprit de corps, that ethos of your company when it's fully remote? I mean, it's harder. I I don't know about you, but I am sick of zoom calls, (laughs) (laughs) even though we're on zoom and I'm so glad to meet you. And I mean, I always like say, Oh, Like we're having coffee. I would really like just to have coffee with you guys in a real place with real coffee, right? (laughs) Yeah, as as opposed to we would love
2: that too. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right. As opposed to you know, Zoom's great. Don't get me wrong. You know, I have to say it's not the only option because Minerva, my fiance, works at Cisco, and Webex is just as good. I have to say, (laughs) I'm giving giving everyone a hard time. They're they're both tools for different things, but yeah, I mean, how how do you build that?
4: Yeah, kind of.
1: Company culture remotely, you know. It's I mean, you oh, guys. When we clearly figure live out. Together. We'll let you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I do I... know that you guys have separate offices. Yes, I remember this do. from the podcast that I listened we to. Yes, so, we do. So rule number one: if you're if you're if you're a married <laughs> couple that has their own business together, separate offices. And I will attest to this because this is what Jane and I did. Have to
3: <laughs>
4: separate
1: offices.
3: <laughs> little... I, it's it's a critical. It was a critical requirement for us. There's no way we'd yeah. be. In business or married, probably. If we, if we didn't, <laughs> yeah.
2: it, it's it's funny because we did. So, um, Jari, like you mentioned, we do have we do have one podcast called. We have two podcasts. One is called Mixing Business with Pleasure, in which we interview other couples in business. And I distinctly remember we did interview one couple who said that they work in the same office and they wouldn't have it any other way. So Mm. to each their own, I mean, Mm -hmm. for us, and I think probably for a lot of the couples whom we interviewed, um, and it sounds like you and Jane as well had the same inclination that, um, that separate offices is a must. Um, but you know, to, to to get back to your question about culture, I do have a couple of thoughts on that. And Mike, you know, jump in as as you as you see fit. So a couple of couple of things for companies that are either a grappling with whether they want to go back to remote or full time, or or how they want to handle that transition, or if they're really thinking, you know, what we're going to stick with this whole remote thing, or at least a partial work from home um, uh, setup. One of the things that we did from the get-go, I mean, literally after we came up with the name that our company was going to be called Proofpoint, we said, what is the single most important thing that we need to have in place so that, you know, with the lack of four walls where company, you know, oftentimes employees will learn via osmosis, they'll learn from their surroundings. Um, so we didn't have four walls, we didn't have a, a mechanism for our employees to learn via osmosis. So we had to write things down, we had to um, codify things to, to solidify things. And If you think back to ancient man, you know, the um, time immemorial, what did what do the most, you um, persistent cultures have in place. And that is a codification of their culture, a codification mm-hmm. of their society. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we weren't the first to come up with this and hopefully we won't be the last. <laughs>
1: well, good ideas just happen to stick around for a long time.
2: So. Right. <laughs> and, and so we put together what we call our proof point culture book. Oh. And the Culture Book is a living, breathing document, as I like to say. It has gone through, in the four years that we've been around, it's actually gone through quite some changes because we've learned things, we've experienced things, we've had new employees come and some employees go. And, and as you learn and grow as a business owner, and you know, we're first-time entrepreneurs, so I'm, we've got a lot to learn, um, we are constantly updating and making progress and cha- and, and and sort of evolving our culture book but the culture book you know the core principles the core aspects of our culture have been the same and will always remain the same and you know those are some of our our tenets in our values and one of them is transparency we are we believe in radical candor radical transparency throughout the organization we share updates on hiring we share updates on our pipeline we share updates on just about Everything other than salary, because that still is a bit of a taboo subject. I know a lot of Silicon Valley companies are moving there or have gone there.
1: Yeah. I mean, Silicon Valley. Like Silicon Valley
2: is, you know, it (laughs) is what it
1: is. Well, they were the first ones to be like, oh, we don't have a vacation policy. Like, just take vacation when, like, you want to. And no one takes vacation because, of course, the underlying culture was work Work, your butt off. Don't ever go anywhere. So... Yeah. I mean, I, I even fell into that trap at, at some point, you know, with one of the companies I formed. and yeah, we, we just did.
3: We, we, we switched to yeah. Cause I mean, we were like, Oh, this is great. This, it's easy to implement. Let's just do it. And like we had all the best intentions, but the, tra- you, no matter what we said, the traditional um, expectation of agency work was, like, Oh, you got to work. You got to work, work, yeah. work, work, work. And it's like, yeah, no. So like we're now we're shifting to, okay, there is a minimum vacation requirement. The rest yeah. is still unlimited. And like you, Figure out where it makes sense, but you know we're starting to put minimums in place because otherwise people are just not are just not taking it. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean that's definitely a culture here in America. <clears throat> I mean one of the ideas I had had was your point about minimum. Like if you don't take you know three weeks or four weeks, <clears throat> it goes away. Like every year it just blank slate. So take it. You have to take it. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Nope, like go away. I don't. I have a friend another friend DJ he's he's really big on sabbaticals like he's writing a whole book about that cuz sabbaticals changed his life and yeah. i'm like okay well how do you get corporate america or business owners i mean cuz i'm like well aren't sabbaticals just for big companies and his thesis is no they're for all kinds of companies and i'm like well, you're going to have to figure this out because that is not like I can't sabbatical from my own company. I'd love to, like, oh, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. take six months off. Oh, you know, you just pay me for not doing anything. I mean, agency works different, but I, I I love that idea, and I and I'm glad. I mean, it's interesting that you guys ran into that too. I, hard, good idea, right? But hard hard to implement. What what yeah. have been some of these other like good ideas, but really hard to implement? Um,
3: I don't know I'm trying to think of some examples but the, the big thing in general I'll say is I think the mistake a lot of companies make and this is going even just outside of culture but operations and everything is and not even just companies organizations as a whole I mean the same thing as government etc but it's trying to take whatever worked and whatever is the quote-unquote right thing to do in an office environment and just Shoving it into a digital environment. It's like, oh, we're just gonna replicate this, that, and the other digitally. It's like, no, it doesn't work. I mean, we saw it fail with education, we saw it fail with a lot of things in the last year. You just can't do it like in virtual events. It's like, okay, how many more of the same exact thing am I gonna watch? Right. And it's a so like and I think you have to embrace like if every model, whether it's in-office, hybrid, fully distributed, has its uh Good things and bad things, and I think just like with anything else, you can't focus too much on fixing the bad things. You have to focus on what are the like on what are the positives and uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here, and making them work even better, right? So it's like we know that remote allows for more asynchronous work. Great, lean into that. How do you make more stuff asynchronous? But it's not just about saying, oh well, we used to have this meeting, so I'll just make this exact same meeting asynchronous. No, that's bullshit. It doesn't work. Right. Like some of that can, uh, and we've done some of that, but we've also learned that some of that you just can't transfer everything. Um, I would
2: I would also add to kind of dovetail off of what Mike was talking about, because I think that's a, a spot on observation that a lot of companies had to grapple with over the past, you know, 12 months or so. Um, in my, in my opinion, and again, Take it for what it's worth. We're, we're, we're first-time entrepreneurs, so, you know, take it for what that's worth. But I believe that if you're going to allow for a distributed workforce, you have to couple that with a flexible work environment. Mm-hmm. If your expectation is that your employee is going to be sitting in front of their desk from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. or whatever it is that you, you know, that that your, your expected hours of operation... If you're going to have that expectation, you're going to be sorely mistaken and sorely short-sighted because the beauty, and again, going back to why we started our company. We started our company because we were going through a crisis. We had a daughter with medical needs that needed attention that she needed her parents, she needed a full-time caregiver. She also was being seen at the time by nine different providers and early wow. intervention. Wow. So so we had a lot of doctors meet doctors' appointments almost weekly we were going to see one of her nine different doctors. Wow. So there was absolutely no way five years ago that I could have found a company that would have allowed me the flexibility and the PTO policy to be the kind of parent that my daughter needed, which is why we started our company. Mm -hmm. So again, I go back to that same point that if you're going to allow your team to be remote or distributed in any fashion, you have to understand that flexibility comes with that. And what does that mean? That means that um, number one, please, if you're listening out there and you're doing this, do not put those stupid trackers mike what are those <laughs> well
3: it's, it's the time tracking tools that oh, right. you to actually yeah. Oh, yeah. track what they're actually doing or the and the, the keystrokes
2: or things like that that is just it is so <laughs> demoralizing it is so it I, shows it that you have right. no trust in your team exactly, exactly. um and who the hell wants to work in that sort of big brother atmosphere, you know? And and look, to be fair, I do- uh, Apparently what I the WeWork
3: seen. CEO thinks that the most engaged employees are the ones that really want to be in the office all the time. So, you know.
1: Well, and there are, there are people, I mean, I know them that are like, cannot yeah. wait to get back in the office, right? I personally am not one of them because- <laughs> I mean, I work from home. I've always worked from home. So for me, this COVID thing is just like, I just can't go to the jujitsu gym. That's the only thing yeah. that's kind of- in, oh, and Now you get. and I have
3: something else to talk about.
1: Oh, jujitsu. Oh, you're a pl- jujitsu player. All right, here we go. Sorry, Gabby. We're going to talk, <laughs> talk MMA and stuff.
2: I'm used to this. I've Yeah,
3: Martial arts has been part of my life since I was like, what, eight, nine? Oh,
1: wow. So. Awesome. Awesome. But, but you're right. Like you're, you, you nailed it. Like trust the people. To yeah. do the job. And par- yeah. partly, I think the problem with, the, with those time trackers, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up, Gabby, is I don't think a lot of managers actually really truly understand how to assign work to people and give them the freedom to do it, especially yeah. if you're a big corporate folk. Because if you're a manager in corporate, what's your job? It's to go to meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, PowerPoint and meetings. Like, I, I remember going to corporate, you know, I had all my corporate gigs and I'm like, I get so much more work done if I didn't go to these stupid meetings because I was either presenting. That's why middle management
3: gets so burnt down at corporate because you're expected to go to all the meetings and you still got to do all the work. And you're like, oh, uh,
1: yeah, wow. l- like, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it's crazy. It, it's it's almost, it's, it, it, I, re- I mean, people always wonder, well, oh, your startup would get crushed by a big company. I'm like, no way, no way. They're trying to figure out what font to use on the stupid PowerPoint. <laughs> like, bro, we're like 20 miles ahead of them. We don't, they don't, they're trying to figure out like, Oh, we got to make sure the colors match on the logo. It's like, we went to 99 designs. and got the logo. We're done. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm sure even you guys, like, what are we going to call our company? You know, I'm sure of, of course you got to like, think about it or whatever, but you made the decision and you moved. It wasn't yes. like,
3: it didn't that, take us three months.
2: Yeah, It took us about three days, but but yeah, the beauty, yeah, yeah. I mean, the beauty of being a small business owner, and it doesn't matter what small business, you know, whether you're right. in marketing, whatever it is, whether you're a coffee shop owner down the block, if you're a small business, your mentality is get it done any way you can, and that is what's I think a big part of missing in corporate America is this, this um, analysis p- paralysis by analysis, right? That yeah. everything has to be by committee, everything has to be voted on, and you've got to go up the ladder and then down the ladder again, and then up again, and then over. And I mean, I, I, I. So I worked um, for two large corporations here in the Twin Cities. Um, uh, Who will
3: remain nameless.
2: Who will remain nameless? I can, I will. Allude. Anybody can
3: look at your LinkedIn profile. So.
2: Anyone can link <laughs> if in my LinkedIn really, profile. If you're really curious. <laughs> one, one of them is a big box retailer that has a very uh, distinct red circular logo. <laughs>
1: And, and the other one's got 3Ms in their name?
2: Oh, n- no. no, no, no. I did I they were clients, but I didn't work for that one. Uh, <laughs> another
1: that's the only other one I know. <laughs> yeah,
2: another company that most people don't know they're based in the Twin Cities. It is a uh, a bed retailer and they have mm. numbers. They they mm. everything is based oh, on numbers yeah. and beds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, great, and great sleeping companies all. <laughs> yes no honestly very good companies oh, i course, uh, yeah. from a from a consumer standpoint and even um if i look at my my careers objective objectively i will say that they are wonderful companies but the being a cog in the corporate re- wheel just wasn't for me, and it—it's not for a lot of people, and a lot yeah. of that is to do with many of the things that we're talking about. This, this—you know—this analysis paralysis and every and the meetings, the inordinate amount of meetings, and just the bloat in the corporate structure. Um, So being a small business, owning a small business is exciting because we can move quickly, we can iterate, we can pivot. But like to Mike's point earlier, yeah, there is a lot of ambiguity. And it's not for everybody. You know, we've had some proof pointers join us. And we were very open again, radical, tr- radical, uh, transparency. We said, look, there's, you're joining our company and we're excited for you, but Hey, just so you know, there's some ambiguity. There's going to be some gray areas. We're figuring yeah. things out. We're yeah. going to be really open and honest with you about when we're hitting, an area that of the company or an area of our growth that is ambiguous. And we're going to look to everybody to help us figure that out or help us iterate it, or at least have patience while we do that. And in full, again, in full transparency, we did have some employees that um, despite our warning, despite our best efforts to be transparent about those things, um, they decided that it wasn't the right place for them. And we supported them in their decision to leave. We were very open and and, um, supportive in that. We actually even helped them transition and find another job because that's that's also part of our ethos that we believe that employees should be celebrated for joining the company. And hopefully in in good circumstances, they should be celebrated for choosing to leave, whatever that choice may be, whether it's because they're finding a new job, starting something of their own, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I, we believe that if if an employee has dedicated time and and um, and and trust to being with our company and they're deciding to move on, we need to celebrate that because they were with our company for the time that they were there. They contributed. They were good employees. And that's also something missing as part of corporate. I will say, um, I've got no big surprise. I'm pretty open about this on on LinkedIn. I was actually fired three times in my career. I've lost yeah. my job three wow. times.
1: Me too.
2: <laughs> and uh, and it never you know it doesn't get easier when when you lose your job yet. and and corporate HR they just still don't know how to handle that properly. It's never done with empathy and with kindness and with um, with discretion. It's done in a very cold hearted way and. Um, you know, we we believe that you know if, if you're if you're going to be with Proofpoint, we're going to help you throughout your career, whether that's in the beginning as you join the company, or whether that's at the end when you decide to leave, or if we have to let you go, we want to do that in a way that's with empathy and with heart, and that espouses the values that we that we carry here today. and um I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent. No, I think no, no. I... This is no,
1: this is no no no. I mean it, so no no this not at all. And I'm glad you brought this up because
2: I I, I do have an interesting uh, I guess you could say case study, and I guess we could round out our time today with that case study around offboarding. Mm. Um, and this kind of relates to, kind of kind of comes full circle to our c- conversation around culture and how we espouse it, how we grew that, but it all culture and is also very much present when you offboard an employee. Yeah, And so many companies don't do it. They do not do offboarding the right way. Um, so... I'll, I'll I'll share uh, I'll share a story now. I have to keep it anonymous to protect uh, the person that we're talking about. But we had an employee who joined our company with so much fanfare and so much excitement, and uh, we we really were excited to bring this person onto the team. But very, uh, I'd say about a month into the role, it became clear that despite our best efforts to hire this person to test them, we have a ri- rigorous six-point interview process uh, before somebody is offered a job with us. Despite our best efforts, um, it became clear that this person was not the best fit for the job. This person did not, um, as our business coach would say, they, they weren't able to To play the instrument you know if if you join a band you have to play the instrument and so this person was a great musician but she she wasn't able to play the instrument that that she needed to play in our band and um we had to make the very difficult decision of letting this person go and we did that with what i believe to be the most um utmost sincerity and 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 really thinking about the culture really thinking about the offboarding so um and of course we'll let our listeners decide if we did the right thing or not but I'll share what we did and hopefully it may um inspire other business owners and maybe even big corporate corporations out there to think about how you offboard an employee we knew that this person um needed to find a job and quickly so we leveraged our linkedin network to post about uh, that that we were letting this person go, um, you know, we were sensitive around the details, we gave an, a, enough to paint the picture, but enough to keep things private. And we told our LinkedIn network, and Mike and I have a pretty active LinkedIn network, we told them that, you know, unfortunately, this employee is no longer at proof point, and we want to help them land into the next job as quickly as possible. Here's the kinds of roles that they would excel in, here's the kind of roles and positions they're looking for. So A lot of leaders and owners of a company would not stick their neck out there for an employee that they're letting go, let alone would they admit openly to their LinkedIn network that they've let an employee go. And I knew that by posting that, I was putting myself in a vulnerable position and I'll let Mike probably has something to add to that I'll let him add to that later <laughs> um but we both agreed that it was the right thing to do that we had so much tr- respect and affinity for this person that we knew that if we could help her in this way we wanted to do that um furthermore we agreed that we would extend her salary for a few weeks past the point that she you know we past the point that she was legally due so we you know we 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 made that commitment financially to her that we were going to extend a few more weeks of salary in addition to her being eligible to receive um, unemployment insurance. Um, Additionally, we allowed this person to maintain access to our um, education portal. So we use CXL. Uh, Maybe you've heard of it or uh, others listening know that it's a very reputable online education resource for people in marketing and advertising advertisement so we have an agency. an agency subscription and everyone that joins the company gets access to the CXL Institute. And so we allowed this, this former employee to maintain her access for a period of three months so that while she, while she was looking for a job, she could up her skills, you know, maybe work on the things that were not, um, fluent in her, in her vocabulary, fluent in her instrumentation, uh, to continue that metaphor. Um, to to kind of up her skills and get her to that next position. Um, additionally, we sent her a care package. Um, mm. Again, so uh, normally when we talk about culture, I share about our employee onboarding kit. I didn't share with you on that today, but I'll briefly describe that we have this really awesome branded proof point box. It's got the logo, the colors, Um, And it's chock full of some company swag and some treats, some edibles, some munchables, some fun things at your desk. And then, um, you know, a handwritten note from, from Mike and I, that gets sent to every new employee and we've, And that experience is so exciting. You know, all of our employees, and we actually send a similar kit to new clients. Um, Anytime we sign a new client, they'll get a a similar kit. Everyone that has received (laughs) our kit, even I will say competitors and um, people people that we know in the Twin Cities that have seen our kits will Uh, come to us and say, wow, that's awesome. How did you do that? Where did you get that? So we've we've actually given... Um, we wrote a whole blog post about how we sourced the kit and what goes in it, and and, and wow. the ethos behind that. So yeah. we we told um, I told Mike I said you know we need to give this person an offboarding kit. And we had gotten over the course of I think it was six weeks that she that this person was with Proofpoint. We got to know her pretty well, and um, we pu- I I went to a couple of different stores and online, and I bought things that I knew this person would, that that would speak to what we knew of her, that would speak to her as a person. Um, Plus some of her favorite treats, some of her favorite snacks and um, a notebook, because look, everyone needs a notebook and you're going to interviews and you're going, you know, to meet with people. So you need something. So we put together this offboarding kit that said, Hey, you know, again, with a handwritten note that, that really just reiterated the fact that that we thought the world of her, that we wished under different circumstances, we could have kept her at proof point. Unfortunately, we didn't have the right role to move her into. um, And that we were going to do everything we could to continue to be her biggest supporters and her cheerleaders.
1: Super, super critical.
2: And I will say, you know, just to kind of round this out, that um, throughout this process, um, I continued to be a resource for her and kind of a sounding board. And I was also um, asked to provide um, testimonials, you know, or, or not yeah. testimonials, what's it called? Um, reference. reference, reference, references. <laughs> and this person has now landed into an amazing job. Wow. And, and she That's emailed great. me to let me know that, you know, Wonderful. I'm really glad that I had this opportunity to connect with you at Proofpoint, even though it didn't work out. I'm grateful that I, that I had the chance to be at proof point and that I got yeah. to know you. So um, to me, that was, that was paramount that despite the fact that this person wasn't the right fit, you know, couldn't play the instrument that we needed in our band, that we do everything we could in, in our power to show them that we're going to support them through that transition. And I know that not all companies are going to take those steps or maybe That's go a that extra distance. Pretty,
1: pretty heavy lift for a lot of companies.
2: Pretty heavy lift <coughs> for a lot of companies. We're a small company, but we felt that it was, it had to be. It had to match up to our culture. Yeah. It's
1: part of your culture and your ethos. I mean, I'm similar. I have a similar attitude about it. I mean, to me, just because someone you have to let someone go, it's, it's actually, honestly, my philosophy on it is it's the failure of management.
2: Absolutely. And so
1: if you have that attitude, then it's like, okay, I screwed up. I'm sorry. How can I help you? And I've had so many bosses throughout my whole career where when something like this has happened, and they're like, okay, how can I help you? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm sorry it didn't work out, but like, you're a good guy. Like, yeah. let's figure it out. Yeah. And the amount of times I've either kept in touch or worked with them again. I mean, I think the bottom kind of line on all this is that when you have goodwill towards everyone and you're trying to be helpful and of service, that just ripples out. Because mm-hmm. again, like there's times where people have worked with a couple five, six years ago, come back. Hey, you know, you're great to work with, even though we might've left on different terms or whatever. So that's just great. So, so what, what advice, let's start with Mike, what advice would you give the next generation of
3: entrepreneurs coming up? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been kind of, I've been thinking about this in the back of my mind throughout this episode. and It just came to me as we are as we were rounding up this conversation, I think my piece of advice would be play the long game. I think there's, I mean, you're, you're in Silicon Valley. I mean, you, you know, this probably better than anybody else of, you know, the venture funded startup and the grow fast and, you know, you know,
1: move fast and break things. That's the the mantra.
3: All those (laughs) mantras, right. Which there's something to all of them, right. Oh yeah. I think the, the, I think there's something to be said for playing the long game, you know, and it's, it might not feel great immediately. And oftentimes it doesn't like, in, you know, as far as how it hits your pocketbook and uh, your financials, but like, you know, the example that Gabby gave, I also look at sort of how we do business development, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like and we're an agency, so we sell services but like really not, I guess I'll tell the anecdote, if i I'll illustrate this better really quickly. Like we were just talking to prospect last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was. And you know, they're a small, you know, 50 person startup and they're in Canada where Canada is subsidizing a whole, you know, salaries. You know, like, look, this is what you guys are competing with. Like I need help, but uh, like this, and I could honestly, I'm I'm a small, I'm a business owner. Like as a business owner, take the money. Like I'd be, I'd be stupid to try to sell you on th- the fact that you don't need it. Like that's, that's just wrong. Like take the money. Let's maybe we do a small project with you to help you with this. And like, we were and. September, October, whatever, whatever, this thing runs out, because right. you know, you got a business to run too. Right. So it's things like that. It's like, it's playing like just play the long game.
1: Play the long yeah. game. Love it. What about you, Gabby?
2: I love this question and I'm going to answer it. <laughs> I'm going to answer it in two ways. And Mike is laughing because he knows that I can never just give one answer to him. <laughs> he's, he's laughing. I just, I just know he's laughing.
1: I love right it. Now. I love it. Um,
2: so as a mom to a child that's going into kindergarten in September, hallelujah, praise the Lord that she's going to be in kindergarten and <laughs> not at home anymore. That's great. Um, that's I great. will I will say that um, everything you need to know about being a good person and doing the right thing, you will have learned in kindergarten, period, full stop. Because <laughs> think about now, I, I know that a lot of people may not have kids that are listening uh, but you know what it was like to be in kindergarten. You can think that far at, that far back, and yeah. you know what you your parents told you. You know what your teachers told you. It's do the right thing, tell the truth, be honest. You know, think about how you want to be treated. And so on and so forth. And so I think that if people really think about applying those same principles that we were taught as kids, that we teach our kids, that we want our future generation to espouse, to be good human beings, that's really what it takes to be in business. I mean, yeah, it it does take a little bit of grit and determination, some long nights, um, some some choice words and if you're and if you work with your spouse you know separate offices yeah separate off, but yeah, yeah. But, uh, but at the bottom line really at the heart of the matter for me uh the best advice that i can give to future entrepreneurs is think back to when you were a kid and think back to the lessons that you were taught in kindergarten and, and that's just being a good human being if you can be a good human being um chances are you can be a good entrepreneur as well Um, and actually I love that answer so much. So I'm not going to say my second answer. I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs)
1: All right. We'll just let it, (laughs) that's a first that's, we'll just let it, let it like settle in on on the, settle in on the episode. Well, Mike Gabby, I mean, been a great conversation. I'm so happy you guys could join me. Good luck at proof point and, uh, all the great stuff you're doing and stay safe. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that, uh, daughter gets to go to school. I know, um. My fiance's daughter doesn't get to do that yet because she's in middle school, but she's definitely looking forward to that. We hope next year, Hopefully. Fingers, fingers crossed, um, yeah. we'll see how it goes. But
3: yeah, if they push it in next year, it's just, that's just
1: ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, we could go on the, in, I mean, here specifically in San Francisco, it, you just got to read the news and you'll just know the complete and utter Crazy debacle <laughs>
3: that it is here. So, yeah, we, we, um, got I'm just, few, we got a few good friends that live down there, and we, yeah, you've yeah, heard yeah, the stories. Yeah, I was just time.
1: gonna like just look it up on the internet because you can't make this up. <laughs> 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 but anyway, I'm glad she could go back. Thanks again and stay safe. Thanks, Gabby and Mike, for an awesome interview. It was uh, a lot of fun, very enjoyable, and we learned a lot. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from Gabby and Mike. Play the long game. Work for payoffs down the road by building relationships and not the immediate sale. This is uh, something that's hard to do sometimes, especially when you need sales. Uh, but the long game always pays off better and more lucratively uh, because you're building relationships, and relationships matter more than anything. Uh, in this world. Find your inner kindergartner. If you work on being a good human being, you can likely be a good entrepreneur. Uh, Gabby talked a lot about this, about, you know, everything you learned, you learned in kindergarten or everything she learned, she learned in kindergarten. And, you know, that's been around a while, but I think we also have to realize that that is a very important concept about just the simple basics of being a good person. Um, We'll help you go a long way as being an entrepreneur. If you're starting a business, already have one, give some thought about what kind of culture you want to create. Don't just default into what you know. What kind of workplace do you want to foster? How do you want to show up to support your employees? And how do you show that they're valued? You can never start building culture too soon. Um, I think that is probably one of the most powerful ways to align people is build a strong culture. And if you're the founder and CEO, your job is to build the culture. They look to you. The people look to you for that, all the founders. So there you have it. Actionable insights that I learned from Gabby and Mike. Thanks again for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits